What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, concert reviews, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this uh, late evening? Oh, I just got home from work, so I'm really, really excited to be sitting down <laughs> in, in an air-conditioned place. I'm sure I've got, like, grease all over my face, but uh, whatever, you know? I didn't have to exit the car uh, for the entire hour and a half drive home, so... I'm locked and loaded and ready to go. Yeah, I uh, saw Spider-Man today, the new Spider-Man. It came out technically. How was that? It was good. It uh, definitely sets up the next phase of the MCU, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, you know, because, I mean, without getting into spoilers or anything like that, it definitely its one of those things. This is the first movie uh, outside of uh, Endgame that we have now. And it's kind of interesting that it, it is in the MCU, but it's technically a Sony property. So it's weird that the first new phase of the MCU is starting with a Sony film well i guess they could just see how it goes and then decide whether or not they want to uh add it into the overall canon right well i mean this one definitely is a uh, heavy-handed uh after the fact of the events of endgame um, i see so yeah it's very blatant seen... oh yeah oh okay. yeah it's uh the events of endgame definitely loom large uh on the events of the new spider-man movie um it was really good i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought jake gyllenhaal was a perfect uh, mysterio and the way that they were able to make him the character that you've been reading about for decades plus uh, was really interesting. And uh, I think that's actually a really good segue uh, to our guest. Uh, speaking of a decades-long you know, career and getting to know somebody, uh, is Reb Beach. Uh, you might know him from the band, uh, this little band called Winger. Uh, or, Who's that? you know, more currently, yeah, <laughs> Winger sucks. <laughs> or was that, that that corn song? Your favorite band is Winger, and all you eat is zingers. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I forgot about that. All in the family. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, for the last uh, I think seventeen years now, uh, he has been. I think since two thousand two, he's been in uh, another little known band called uh, White Snake. Oh yeah, yeah. Another another up and coming uh, bunch of young pups. Yeah, it's a uh, you know we don't we haven't dipped too much into classic rock, but uh, this is one of those where when the new White Snake record was coming out, uh, John Freeman, uh, who we deal with quite a bit, uh, getting some of these guests, uh, I saw on his Facebook thing that he was representing White Snake, and I was like, I'm gonna see if I can get David Coverdale. Uh, dude's pretty funny. Uh, if you've ever heard him on the Eddie Trunk podcast, he usually has great stories to tell of uh, decades past, and you know, just very chatty guy. And was told that basically he is uh, too busy, uh, as it were. And that uh, Red Beach uh, was available, and I was like, I know a lot about Red Beach, and I would gladly love to talk to him. But no, Red Beach was uh, really fun. Uh, We got him pretty much just as he was waking up. I called him (laughs) when I was supposed to, and then he was just like, oh, I thought you were supposed to call me like a half hour from now. (laughs) So a little bit of a little bit of a delay kind of getting going into the conversation, but I thought this is a lot of fun. Um, like I said, we don't have a whole lot of what is deemed classic rock or classic hair metal or so forth uh, on the show, but it's definitely not because it's not an area of music that we're not versed in. It's just typically uh, people assume that we're just metal and hardcore guys. Yeah, I mean, we all had to start somewhere. I mean, I wouldn't be into the music I'm into now if it wasn't for some of those building block type of bands. And uh, well, White Line was huge for you in that Christian metal scene, right? Uh, Maybe Nelson? <laughs> <laughs> bride? No. Well, oh, bride. Striper? No, Striper's cool. Uh, actually, to, to, to bump off of uh, something I was talking to somebody on another podcast about recently, uh, Striper's actually getting better as they go, which is interesting. 
Um, but yeah, I mean the yellow and black attack, you know, they were back. I don't know where they were back from, but they were back. And, um, no, I mean, we had, we had stuff like Striper and Bride and, uh, I remember this one band called X Center that sounded exactly like ACDC. Uh, they were cool. It's so funny too, because whenever we start talking about classic rock, like, and actually that, that should be one of our Patreon episodes is, uh, what our favorite classic rock or eighties metal bands are. We should, I'd say we do classic rock and an eighties metal, like as a separate, uh, thing. But uh, yeah, that might be okay. something cool to, something cool to do sometime. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like admittedly, a lot of the bands I listened to in that era were Christian bands, uh, Christian metal bands. I still have most of them on cassette behind me and, uh, I have no regrets. <laughs> not one there's a few regrets all my bride albums <laughs> what about the <laughs> yeah no i it was you know this is the era of music that i grew up on like you know i've made a lot of uh comments about you know my parents just sticking me in front of mtv you know it was just always on um and being being exposed to a lot of different types of music and so forth and you know back in the days of cd clubs uh if anyone remembers those columbia house and bmg and all that kind of stuff uh you know i remember my dad getting a lot of these things you know great white tesla uh aerosmith get a grip i remember that record just played all the time every saturday morning i just heard that like kick drum and the bird noise that starts off on get a grip and that was how i woke up every saturday morning for like six months um winger was a huge one i mean it's funny, like, everyone obviously knows 17, but I think, honestly, one of my favorite songs of theirs is uh, Headed for a Heartbreak. Like, there's just something about that song that kind of really gets me. Um, but I've always been attracted to Reb's playing. I mean, the whole band, Winger as a whole, is criminally underrated. Uh, everybody in that band is just a monster. Um, I got to see them uh, probably about 15 years ago now. And I was probably the youngest person by a good 20, 25 years. And I bought it. This is back when I still was really skinny. I bought a woman's uh, winger t-shirt because it was the only one that was pretty cool and had like the old winger logo on it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what's funny about winger too is I, I think he's dead on too that like part of the reason they weren't as maybe successful as some of their contemporaries was that the style of music that they were into, like, like almost it's, that they came a little too late to the party, you know? And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that they were doing was on its way out <laughs> while they were doing yeah. it. But it's yeah. so funny because you go back and look at a band like Winger and I consider them uh, kind of a kind of a hidden gem as far as uh, a, 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 as far as bands like that go. I mean, I like they're they're huge, but uh, I feel like I feel like they're almost easier to appreciate now maybe than then, because now we don't now we're not tied down by the what's cool, what's not cool. Well, I think that's kind of the interesting thing about that era of music is, you know, I've always not unapologetically just really been into it. And the thing that I've always said about it, and I even said it in the interview, and I don't really necessarily know that Reb kind of, he kind of took it a completely different route than I was going to go with it and meant by it. But just that, you know, the virtuosic playing that encompassed that era of music was just stupid. Like everyone was the best guitar player. And everyone was raising the bar of what they could do vocally, you know, all the solos and all this other stuff, bass players and everything, you know, every band member had to be the best of the best. And the thing that kind of sucks is like everyone just remembers when it was kind of at its most over the top. No one remembers all the 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 beginning parts of it that really kind of defined that era of music and what really brought it out and made it mainstream and it's kind of sad to see like everyone kind of focus more on the the 
tropes that kind of were led to its downfall as opposed to the tropes that made it successful and made it as timeless as it has become and it was kind of interesting though that reb kind of took it a different route and was just like yeah you know you just don't see a whole lot of like you know where are the van halens where are the <laughs> where are these people at now like you just don't see these kind of players anymore and i was like oh uh, yeah i guess not well and i'm going to disagree with him a little bit and agree at the same time i think he's dead on as far as like mainstream music goes i i feel like mainstream music is definitely moving away from guitar and guitar shredding for sure i think those massive really influential guitar players that he's talking about might just not be playing music that can be absorbed by the masses you know there's there's obviously technical death metal guitarists that are leaps and bounds more innovative now for for and i don't want to say more innovative because you know i I can't take somebody that's playing in like a modern technical band and pit them up against somebody that was massive in the 80s i mean it's just totally a different playing field now but uh i think a lot of those guitarists are out there but they're never gonna they're never gonna be all over the charts i guess is what i'm trying to say but yeah to better finish that thought though uh, i agree with him though as far as there hasn't been the eddie van halen of this generation you know that's just going to take it all by storm you know uh and i think part of that though is more to do just with a societal change uh towards music you know um in the 80s it was very guitar focused um in the 90s metal kind of almost became more about the drums (laughs) and uh you know uh and then you know you have bands like mashuga that they just the guitarists became drums uh (laughs) so it's definitely um I, I totally understand his point. I just don't necessarily think that uh, guitar shredders are as appreciated now as they as they once were. So that that could be what that could be what is preventing somebody that maybe is really good from coming out of the wor- woodwork, or maybe they are out of the woodwork, but they just they never reach the level of success to to be heard on that level. Well, speaking of uh, getting on the level to be heard, let's get into my conversation with Red Beach, and we will talk to you all afterwards. <laughs> So I have the pleasure of talking to Reb Beach, guitarist for Whitesnake and Winger as well. Uh, they have their newest album, Flesh and Blood, coming out May 10th via Frontiers Music. How are you doing this uh, early afternoon? I'm doing good. I just uh, just woke up two o'clock, you know, after eight hour bus ride. Yeah, it looked like you guys were in, in Ohio. You were in Ohio, yeah. Good outdoor show. Went well. It was fun because you can see the audience, which I love. Like it, it was a daytime kind of thing, you know, early show. Do you actually like playing the earlier shows? I know it's it's an unrock and roll hour sometimes to play some of these matinee shows, but I feel like you know you actually probably get more crowd actually at some of these because of the the demographic that you guys cater to. Um, I do. I I, I like like a you know eight o'clock show is perfect. You know, seven o'clock, eight o'clock is great. I don't like when the sun's in my eyes and when it's like ninety million degrees. <laughs> um, but and and also, I don't like playing when it's really cold because my guitars are really susceptible to um, to cold. You know, because of the whammy bar. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, let's uh, talk about this new record. Uh, it comes out, like I said, on May 10th. So we were about uh, two two weeks away, roughly, at this point, as of when we're recording. I got to say, I really have enjoyed this record. It's uh, It's one of those where I feel like this is a band who's just having fun creating new music. Like, at the legacy of where Whitesnake is, you don't have to make new music. And I think, you know, it's been said quite a bit on, like, Eddie Trunk's podcast and so forth. But the fact that you guys still are and having such a, a fun time, and it, and it really comes through in, in the music, I think it's really inspiring to, you know, see a band that's celebrating 40-plus years and just having fun. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with David's lyrics, which um, are really up-tempo and, you know, he always writes about love and girls. Timeless (laughs) things. Fun time. (laughs) Timeless things, yeah. Yeah, it's just good time, 80s rock. And that's what people love, and it's, it's kind of having a resurgence right now, if you ask me. I mean, doing shows with Winger, we're just selling out. So people are wanting to see it. You know, I kind of was going to touch on that a little bit ago, but it seems like the perfect opportunity to kind of talk about that now. You know, myself kind of growing up in the 80s as a, as a young kid and being inundated with the 80s rock scene and so forth, being a product of MTV and so forth, you know, it was one of those that, like, I grew up, you know, my parents loving that kind of music, White Snake and Winger and all these kind of bands. And, you know, it was just good music to me. And then it seemed to be this thing, maybe I guess in the mid 90s, I guess with like grunge or whatever, where it was unpopular to, to like such things. Is it weird to kind of go through this roller coaster of a time period where it's like, we're cool. Now we're not. Now we're cool again. <laughs> well, um, they say that a lot of that stuff is circular, secular, whatever. Um that it it comes back just like fashion, you know? Uh, And it certainly does seem like, uh, like the eighties rock is making a resurgence um, just by, uh, you know, all the bands that I'm seeing um, are doing well right now. Uh, We have a booking agent that books us and Warrant and Lita Ford and Firehouse and a bunch of other acts, uh, 80s acts, and they're just doing really well right now. Um, uh, and I think that the people are, are just wanting that, that good time music again and, and not so much the, the depressing, grungy stuff, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I've been waiting for the next Van Halen to come out myself. I just, I can't wait for like a young band to come out with a killer guitar player and an awesome front man. Oh, so it's you not know, Red of great, Fleet like everyone's saying? Red of Fleet is, is, well, uh, you know, I'm talking about Van Halen kind of thing. <laughs> with, yeah, killer drummer, killer guitar player. Um, Greta Van Fleet is more, you know, like Zeppelin-y, bluesy kind of thing. Well, I think for a while everyone kind of, or no, I guess that was more, they were comparing them to ACDC. I was going to say Airborne was kind of that band that everyone, it seems like every so often there's that band that's going to come around and, and save rock and roll, you know, for, I think in the early 2000s it was the darkness was going to bring it back, you know, with the kind of high vocals and the, the twin guitar leads and so forth, and, you know, then they kind of yeah. went away. Then it was, uh, like mm-hmm. I said, Airborne I think was another one that was going to kind of bring back, you know, rock and roll. I feel like now you have bands like Rival Sons and The Struts that are kind of in that that kind of players players kind of mentality or like a band's band kind of in space but yeah i don't really Mm -hmm. think there's 
I can't really put my finger on it. I don't think there really is a Van Halen kind of thing, which I kind of think, you know, and I've always said kind of speaking back to the era that, you know, you came up in is we were so inundated with just phenomenal players who were pushing the boundaries of what you could do within the rock world, whether it be from the playing perspective or whatever. And I feel like that definitely got lost. Like, I mean, there are great talents and great players over the course of time since then, but it just, you know, you look at that, that time period of the eighties, it's like, you know, there was you, there was Doug Aldridge there, you know, there's so many players and it just kept pushing. I think all of you to be more competitive with one another to, to up one another and just put out the best that you could. And I I feel like that's kind of lacking at times. I mean, the guitar hero thing. Yeah. You don't really, yeah. You don't really see any new guitar heroes coming out, you know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because all these guys that are coming out of GIT and Berkeley, you know, that can just play anything, um, can't write songs, you know? (laughs) So you never hear of them. Right. What, uh, you know, kind of speaking of someone that I think uh, really shines on this new record, uh, Joel, this is the first record he's gotten to play on. And, I mean it seems like a good guitar pairing between you and him on this record. You know, a lot of really good riffs, good solos, good like lead lines and so forth. Uh, how was it working with Joel on this new record? It was great. He's, <clears throat> he's sort of the opposite of me. So it worked out really well that way. <laughs> you know, he's, he's one of those schooled guys um, that can play anything. And, you know, he's great at slide. He's great at acoustic. Um, you know, he can finger pick. Uh, so it, it was great to have him on board and he had lots of ideas. Um, I just let him do whatever he wanted and, uh, he came up with some great stuff. Uh, it's pretty neat to watch him solo. He's one of those one take guys, you know, and <laughs> it, it's like, he he did one thing and I just couldn't believe he, he did a solo and did it perfect. Like just one take perfect take. And I said, that's it. You're done. That's a perfect solo. He said, well, let me double it. And he doubled it. And then, you know, I figured that he must've just taught it to himself the night before. Well, no, he said, let me try another one. And he did another completely different, perfect solo. And he said, all right, now let me double that. And he doubled it. And that was all in four takes, you know, four perfect takes. So that's how he rolls, you know, (laughs) and I just, (laughs) Yeah, I, I work a little differently. Like I screw around with it for a half an hour and, you know, figure out melodies until I can come up with something that is cool. But, um, you know, we have very different styles. So um, that's always great. You know, we don't sound like each other. No, most definitely. I think that that kind of shines through uh, in this. And it seems like you always kind of in your time in White Snake, you've always kind of gotten really good complimentary players to what you do. Um, I've always felt anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like with, with Doug Aldrich, I was kind of a Steve Vai guy. Um, and yeah, he was the Sykes guy. Something that kind of stood out to me and something we've kind of touched on quite a bit on this podcast as of late is, uh, you know, talking about... EPs and full lengths and all that kind of stuff and just the where the the demand for music is now, new music and so forth. And, you know, what kind of stood out to me is on this record, it's 13 tracks in total, but when you listen to it, it doesn't feel like anything shouldn't be there. Like, so I kind of wanted to know, A, you know, was how many songs have been written for this album? 
and how long did it take to kind of craft this record and how much attention was paid to the track listing itself because I think it flows really well. David spent a, a lot of time listening to the songs um, and figuring out which ones he wanted to be where. That was all him. I mean, he would uh, send stuff to us and we'd tell him what we thought. I told him <clears throat> I wanted a song, uh, Can't You Write for Doing Wrong, a blues tune that's on the bonus tracks of like the deluxe edition. I thought that should be not only available on the bonus ones. I thought it should be on the proper record. And, um, and I wanted to flip it with Always and Forever. And he said, no way. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I made a couple of suggestions and got shot down in flames. <laughs> and um, it came out it came out the way he wanted it so it's perfect as i say i think it's just kind of an attestment to how great each song is individually because a song like well i never to me like i could see that being in the first three or four songs and kind of front loading and and that was kind of something like i said that just kept standing out to me about this record and the experience of listening to it is there's not a bad song where you're like oh there's the okay it was front loaded or okay track six and now we're starting yeah. to like kind of die down it's like no it, it works and flows right. really well and to me it, it then creates this problem for you where you're like all right well this whole cd is really good so how the fuck do you start integrating these songs into the classics now and getting all the standards in yeah yeah it's it's a, a little bit shocking to me that we're doing these new songs live yeah i think and i saw you're playing five seem- we're playing five, but you wouldn't know it. Um, they're interspersed into the hits, you know, and um, and the people are singing all the words, and the album's not even out yet. I mean, the singles are out, but I mean, the the songs are so easy. You know, you hear you hear the chorus once, and you know the chorus. You know, it's just hey, you, and shut up and kiss me. Just screaming stuff out which is easy to do in the arena, you know, just you know, scream this out, you know, and when I, <laughs> you know, when the chorus comes, just scream, Hey, you, and it's very simple and people are really latching on to it. So, you know, I, I thought everyone was going to get up and go get a beer when we started doing the new stuff and really nobody has, and there haven't been that many complaints and, um, I'm really encouraged by it. I've never seen anything like it to tell you the truth. You know, you were saying, well, I never, well, I never was the first song that David had um, when I came in to write. The first thing he played me was, well, I never. And I listened to it, and at first, um, you know, because he plays his stuff on acoustic and just sings it. <clears throat> and at first, it just sounded like um, maybe a little bit silly somehow, you know? Uh, but then, you know, Ten minutes after that, I can't get the song out of my head. And then for a month after that, I couldn't get the song out of my head. And to the point where I was saying, David, we have to do this song. This song has to be on the record. That bad hook is undeniable. So, um, and that's how he comes up with stuff. That's a typical um, David Coverdale piece of songwriting there. It just, that, that just popped into his head. It's funny you touched on the fact that the choruses or or kind of the bridges even are very simple and and anthemic. And I mean, even like uh, I know that you are playing this in the set. Trouble is your middle name. I mean, 
I was kind of surprised when they got to that point in the record because it's it's almost dead center in the middle of the record, which is redundant. But uh, you know, I was like, that almost could have been the album opener. Like, there's a couple of songs in here that I feel like that are tucked back at the back half of the record where I'm like, man, these could have been album openers. Like, it's it's you don't see that very often on records anymore where you you can kind of envision like okay, this could start the record, this could start a set, or this could be here, or whatever. And it's like, it seems like that's kind of a good problem to have where you have such good quality material that it can go anywhere in a set and kind of pick everything back up if you want to take things down a notch for, for you know, one of the ballads or whatever. Well, that's really good to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you like the record and you like a lot of the songs. Very, very cool. I know what you mean about, um, you know, some albums having dogs and, and lulls in the middle and um or usually most of the time the best stuff is in the front and then just it gets worse and worse as the album goes <laughs> on you know yeah but not here for sure and i'm glad that you recognize that and thank you for listening to the whole record well i mean that's half of the point of asking for a promo copy so i can actually talk about it in some not general vagueness of being like so the singles are cool how does the yeah. rest of the record sound <laughs> hey You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of wanted to know, I mean, you're already playing five songs off of this record, so I mean, you're you're about, you know, sort of at the halfway point of playing this whole record live. Do you envision, with it being such a strong record from start to finish, that you will swap some of those other songs out for some of the other material? Or do you think the, the five that are in the set now are going to kind of be the, the ones that are the mainstays from this, this album cycle? Well, um, there's a one song I really want to do. And so, uh, you know, we'll see if I can get David to do it. Um, it's a song that's dear to my heart because you know, I spent months writing it. <clears throat> it, it uh, it's the last song on the record, Sands of Time. It's kind of my big epic uh, ballad song um, that, you know, I wanted to be like Forevermore, which was a awesome song that Doug Aldrich wrote, which was the title track for on the last record. And uh, uh, I really, we've been doing it at rehearsal, just screwing around and it sounds really cool. So I'm hoping David will do that one maybe in Europe. That's my favorite one on the record. And so we could switch it out. But um, right now we do the drum solo in Get Up. And, you know, I miss playing Crying in the Rain myself. I want to play that song too. So we'll see. You kind of touched on one of the questions I had for you, which is, you know, at this point you've been in the band for 17 years and have put out, this will be the fourth record, as you just said. You kind of touched on a song you would like to play from the new record. Is there something from any of the other three or even, hell, in any of the back catalog that you haven't gotten to play that you really want to get your hands on and, and get out there and play? Nope. I've played most every song that I wanted to play. Um, you know, I don't really know... I'm sad to say, I don't really know that old stuff um, as well as I should, you know, the the old bluesy stuff. The only songs I know are the ones that that we've played, you know, like Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. Um, and I should go back and listen to all of that stuff one of these days. But um, so, so I, you know, that it doesn't go into my thoughts when I'm thinking about what songs I want to I want to play. Um, it just, I mean, the answer to that is I'd love to do crying in the rain again, even though we did it all last year, <laughs> I really miss doing it. Cause I get, I'd love playing the solo in that song. Kind of uh shifting gears a little bit. 
and talking about gear itself, you know, I, I saw a, a rig rundown on YouTube recently that you had done and was kind of pleasantly surprised with as much touring as the band does and as much overseas touring as you guys do that you haven't switched to like an amp profiler at this point to kind of make things a little easier, especially given the diverse nature of some of the tones that you have to pull off from, you know, a 40 year career uh, of the band's uh, discography and so forth. So uh, has that something that you've ever played around with or are you just, you know, really love kind of dialing tones and, and having just, you know, the things there on, on stage with you and that if something goes wrong, you know how to like fix it right away. It's not all based on a sort of a computer. No, I'm old school, man. I plug into an amp with tubes and I plug directly into it and I get a sound with EMGs and that's my sound. It sounds exactly the same all the time. It's big and fat. And it's, you know, and Joel, he uses all that crap and sounds great, you know. <laughs> but um, for me, I, I I have to use a head. I, I, I've always used a head. You know, I'll always use a head until they perfect it. They just haven't perfected it for me. I can tell, you know, if there's something lacking some kind of balls um, that I can tell right away if I'm playing through a Kemper or a Fractal. And yeah, it's really great, the diversity of, of having something like that. But I need my big fat amp sound. Fair enough. I, that was just something, you know, in today's world, it seems so many players, even some of the players that have been around as long as you have, that are, are starting to see the simplicity in having it, especially in a touring sense where there's kind of less to go wrong, like things to break or whatever. However, I guess the flip side of that is when that thing goes down, you don't have a way to back that up unless you just have a backup uh, Kemper or whatever. So, Yeah, no, it's a pain in the butt what I do, you know, because you have to bring two big heads out, you know, and, you know, tubes go bad and all kinds of stuff. You know, you blow fuses and, you know, it's pain for sure, you know, but that's the way I've just always done it. That's the way, you know, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and Van Halen and, you know, everyone uses heads um, just because it's fatter, you know, but in the studio, those things are great for like, you know, needing a different tone, like you need like a, a clean sound with a strat, you know, and a flanger, like, well, ta-da, here it is, just dial it in. And those things are great. I'm, I'm not knocking them. So kind of in wrapping up, since I know you got to get back to your, your day here, um, a couple of things. It's been a couple of years since the last Winger record came out. Uh, obviously, you were talking about how you had been playing some shows and how well they've been doing. Is there anything new on the Winger front uh, coming up maybe in the next year or so? Yeah, August, I go to Kip's house. I'm going to hang out with Kip, and we're going to you know, hit the 10 a.m., in the studio until 7 p.m. every day and write an album. The last time we wrote it in two weeks and the time before that we did it in 10 days. We wrote, we wrote 10 on karma. We wrote 10 songs in 10 days and we wrote it um, like front to back. So on the first day we wrote what we knew was going to be the first song on the record. And then we said, okay, what do we want to be the second song on the record? And just kind of already knew what the lineup was going to be, you know? 
Something that kind of surprised me a little bit was, you know, your last record did really well album sales-wise, I believe debuting in the top 200. With that being the case, were you kind of surprised at how well it did, considering maybe not a lot of the older fans maybe are adaptive to, you know, Apple Music or Spotify or any of these things? Um, No, uh, because I'm out there playing to these people, and I see the fans that we have. Um, and that's just in America. We haven't been to Europe in forever. And I know we've got a lot of fans in Europe. I know we sold a lot of records in Europe. So we'd love to go over there. So the offers are kind of small. You know, we'd have to kind of, can I swear on a blog? Oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> can, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we'd have to, we'd have to kind of eat shit. Um, you know, in, in crappy hotels and, you know, vans for seven hours and stuff like that. But I, I really want to go over to Europe with Winger. So next year, we'll have a new album, and we'll be able to do some shows with some new music. Is there, uh, have you been, I mean, you're so inundated with uh, White Snake stuff, and obviously now a new Winger record that you're going to be working on. Is there plans to do anything to follow up Masquerade at all? Like, do you have any ideas for another solo record? I have it written. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, written, written. It's, it's just like... Uh, when Dee Schneider brought Love is for Suckers to me, he had he had verses and choruses and maybe a bridge. Um, but he had the, you know, the meat of the songs w- were done and he just needed um, solo sections or like an occasional bridge section. And so we went in there and, and wrote it. And that's where I am with the Masquerade thing. Um, I've got, geez, I don't know, 12 or 13 songs. And they're just all, you know, choruses and verses and ready to go. And they just need to dot the I's and cross the T's and and that's done and get the lyricist on it because I can't write lyrics. I'm terrible with that. Um, But I'm really, really excited about that. Um, And I do have a solo album coming out. It's an instrumental record. Um, And I'm very, very proud of it. And it looks like it's going to be on Frontiers. Um, and it's going to be their first uh, instrumental record if it works out, and that would be out in the fall. And the tentative title is A View from the Inside, and it's kind of like a Jeff Becky, Jeff Beck kind of sounding thing, um, I, I guess. But it rocks a little more. So, but it's very inside. It's not. It's not you know jazz or anything. It's, you know, all my stuff is catchy and you know uh, good hooks. It's all about the hooks. So, the Dirt movie has come out now. The Dirt book has been out for a long time. You're seeing a lot of these band people start putting out, I don't know if memoirs is quite the right uh, the right term to use anymore, but because it seems like some of these things kind of get embellished a little bit for the sake of a book to, to push a book and or, uh, book sales and so forth. But with that being said, have you ever thought about writing a book at all, a, a kind of documenting or a look back at everything that you've accomplished and gone through uh, in your musical career? And people tell me I should do it, but I'm, I don't think I'm famous enough. And um, the the best stories I would tell would be about my family and growing up. I have some great stories about that that kind of trump the, the rock and roll stories because all that stuff's been told before, you know. <laughs> and, and also, you know, Winger, we were nothing like Motley Crue. It's one of the reasons why 
we didn't do even better than we could. It's one of the reasons we weren't really a headline band um, was that we were, you know, all studio musicians and all of us were really good looking and we never got into any <laughs> trouble. And, and, you know, we, we wore spandex and had the big hair at the end of the eighties when it was kind of going away, you know? So we just came in on the, on the tail end of all that. Actually, here's my last question, and something I've kind of been thinking about leading up to this, uh, in listening back to Winger and thinking about when I actually saw you guys here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, oh, fuck, I think it's been over a decade now at this point. But uh, I know, obviously, when you guys play 17, uh, spoiler alert, uh, you change the lyric typically to whatever the age would be for the person, the fictitious person at this point in time. Um, or at least at the time, I think you it was, uh, she's only... Uh, 43 or something like that, I think was what the lyric was changed to. <laughs> 47, you mean, let me play live, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yep. Um, so it's one of those things where, do you think a song like 17 could come out in today's world? Huh. You mean and be big? Uh, yeah, and or I guess more to the point, not be, not have like the PC oh. police just come and <laughs> slam on it. <laughs> huh, well... I mean, we never got any crap for that song. Not that I knew of. Um, and yeah, I guess times have changed recently with, uh, you know, the Me Too movement and all that. Um, I know, you know, talk to the Beatles, you know, <laughs> she was just 17, you know what I mean? Um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's Christine 16 by Kiss. Yep. So so I guess Ted Nugent has a quite a bunch of songs that yeah. are a little sketchy in that too. You <laughs> <laughs> will be my bridge over troubled daughters. He played me that <laughs> song. He's like, it was so awesome. Yeah, when I met Ted Nugent, he, I met him a few times. One time he picked up his he picked up my guitar and said, "Hey man, I wrote this song. It's called You Will Be My Bridge Over Troubled Daughters.'" And then he started playing it, and the guitar. He, he, he took the guitar out of tune in seconds because his hand rolled over the fine tuners on my whammy bar. Oh, yeah. And and he said, yeah, he said, these Floyd Roses, I, I can't play them because my hand, that's where my hand sits. I thought that was interesting. But I, I, do I think people could get away with it? Uh, maybe. Because it's rock and roll. Because it's rock and roll, man. I guess. It was just one of the, as, as I was thinking about it, it's like, oh, man, I don't know if you could put out like if this was a song brand new today man, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> daddy says she's too young but she's old enough for me yep uh i don't know sometimes kip has trouble singing that you know <laughs> <laughs> he feels like an old pervert or something you know uh kind of a last question what does 2019 hold for the rest of you for either white snake winger or whatever i mean i know we kind of touched on it but uh it looks like your tour you're going to be playing uh looks like tomorrow in richmond virginia and the tour rolls through till july 7th uh over in germany and then after that uh kind of looks like everything's kind of up in the air for you so far yeah we're you know probably do south america probably do japan um you know, we haven't heard anything yet, but, you know, it's kind of a standby thing, and that's usually what happens. Um, and we find out pretty soon around this time of year what he wants to do in the fall. Um, and then, you know, I'm going to try and write with, with Kip or record with Kip in the interim, in, in <clears throat> any time that we're not on the road. Uh, 
and then next year I'll be you know juggling both bands as I always do. <laughs> and I'm you know I'm just lucky to have two gigs. Very very lucky. And both of which I love, by the way. Yeah, it definitely shows. Uh, granted, this for whatever it's worth, since uh, haven't really made your way over to Michigan with either band in a little bit. But uh, it looks like from the YouTube video I saw uh, of the full set that you guys have been playing lately, uh, it looks like everyone's having a blast, and uh, it looks like the fans are having a really great time as well. So hopefully uh, you'll make it around this way soonish, so I can uh, try to catch a show and see see these new tunes because uh, it looks phenomenal. It looks like you and everyone are just like I said, having a good time playing. Yeah, it really is. It's going great. Everyone's having a good time, and we're definitely having a good time up there. You know, and David says to us right before we go on stage every night, have fun. Have fun out there, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wanted to say thank you for taking the time again. And uh, again, the new record, Flesh and Blood, comes out May 10th via Frontiers Music. And uh, go pick it up. It's a great record. And thanks again, Reb, for taking the time. My pleasure. Good talking to you. So that was my conversation with Reb Beach of Winger and Whitesnake. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, I especially like the fact of, you know, just kind of where the conversation went at the end where I was like, do you think if the band were to come out now that 17 could still be a viable, like, song? Like, do you think you would catch shit for it or are you surprised that you haven't caught shit for it currently? You know, he seemed kind of, at first wasn't sure, like, what a good way to answer that question was. And uh, and I totally get it because especially in that case, you have to be really careful how you say it. Because if you say, like, I don't care what anybody thinks, you know. <laughs> Um, you're going to attract the, exactly that same type of attention that we're, you know, asking about. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely liked his little quip of like, you know, yeah, he's like, you know, Kip really doesn't like singing that song or has a little bit of trouble singing that song now, uh, because he's so much older now and it just comes off as creepy. Whereas when they were all young bucks in the eighties, it wasn't, you know? Right. Yeah. Like I said, uh, when I saw him. All those years ago, you know, they changed the lyric. I think at the time, they're like, she's only uh, 47 or 37 or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, they, that's they've, really funny. Yeah. They've, they've updated it. And, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of cool, too, you know, getting to talk about this. You know, we didn't talk about the White Snake record uh, much in the intro, but, you know, their new record, Flesh and Blood, is out now. Uh, you can pick it up anywhere. You can, you know, probably go and buy the vinyl, uh, catch the guys on tour and so forth. But, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, a lot of times, you know, like I've said, and if you listen to Eddie Trunk, you hear him say this with almost everybody that he has on the show that is not a uh, current new band or newer, but that basically you get to this point in a career, whether you're Winger, whether you're White Snake, whether you're, fuck it, we'll say Sebastian Bach or Skid Row, where you just kind of get to a point and it's almost like, why put anything out? No one cares. Like, everyone just wants to hear the hits that they know and that's it. And they'll be completely satisfied with everything that you do that is those things. So the fact that they're able to still put out a good sounding, a current sounding record, and the fact that it seems like, you know, these songs are well lived in and that they are having fun playing them, like, and it comes across on the recorded material, then it's like, well, then fuck it. Like, why not? Like, when the output is this good, why not do it? And I guess this is the example of that. But I don't think that a lot of bands of this era have that same passion or fire, maybe. Like, Judas Priest is really, and Iron Maiden, I guess, are one of the last two that I can think of that are, you know, this far into their career. I guess Megadeth 2 with Dystopia, where it's like, you know, you're three decades into a career and you're still putting out records that a lot of people are like, yo, this new album is really fucking good. Yeah, and I think what that is, is that, you know, if you're a fan of the band and you love the hits whenever the band is putting whenever the band's current output is just as i don't want to say relevant necessarily cuz some of it very much is a throwback sound but um 
I guess these guys are just at an age where they're like they're done experimenting. They they, they they've gone in in every direction that they want to do, and there is still plenty of room for that. I mean, Reb's got a new album coming out that's a instrumental album, so like whatever experimentation he has, like if you just love hearing dude play, you can still get that experimental stuff if that's what you're looking for. But if you're just a classic fan, you're gonna you're gonna want that throwback sound. But the biggest difference is is that these are new songs, and they're uh, that doesn't sound very profound on its own but uh these are <laughs> th- these are these are new songs but they sound massive in a way that even the old recordings didn't sound well i think the thing really and it's a good point and i don't know how familiar you are with white snakes re-recorded material of the of the classic material but they've have since redone like re-recorded all the original like the 1987 self-titled album and you can hear the differences. Like if you know how like the the keys go and like the guitar tones and just some of the things that are going on on that song or on the whole album, you can just hear it right away. Like I can tell when Here I Go Again is playing or Is This Love, I can tell which version of I'm hearing within, you know, two seconds because I can tell that it doesn't have that same vibe because they've tried to bring it into the new era. And sometimes like, you know, this is something as, as staunch uh, collectors of music and and audiophiles and such as Dan and I are where this is where it's like it would be cool if this had modern production you know to make it sound current and relevant you know and didn't have all the nostalgia attached to it however there's something to be said about a record just sounding like the time that it was recorded and and why it came out at that point because that's what made you fall in love with it is how it sounded when you first heard it and so to go back and alter that is kind of it's almost blasphemous at times but I feel like Reb interestingly enough across everything he's done has stayed tired and true to his sound and it's been kind of interesting you know like sneaking in just a little bit of gear talk where i was like oh so like do you use kempers because of you know having 40 years worth of recorded material or so and you needing to recreate tones maybe of heads that you don't even own anymore and he's like nope still use the same gear that i've been using still plug in you know still have a <laughs> all this stuff and i was like still oh, using pretty... the same eight knobs yeah <laughs> yeah and it was like oh that's pretty commendable but uh you know, I just, you don't see that a whole lot anymore either. So it is, it seems like Reb is one of those players that is just old school through and through uh, in approach and, and execution. Yeah, and I think that's respectable. And, and going back to your point about, you know, the re-recordings and stuff, I'm not very familiar with the uh, with the White Snake stuff that's re-recorded. But I will tell you that it's really hard to please people like us because we want, oh, I want to really want to hear this with modern production. But what you really want is like just a a more you want the exact same recording like basically remastered, which don't get me wrong, we get plenty of that. But I guess what I'm saying is like we we don't really necessarily want the re-record. We say we want the re-record, or we want the quote-unquote sequel albums. Uh, you know, it's twenty years. Twenty years have gone by. Let's let's hear let's hear part two. And it's like, well, you're not going to get part two twenty years ago. You twenty years later, you you know you might get it two years later. If you're going to get it at all, uh, and, and I think uh, I think it could just be really hard to please people. So I think at the end of the day, as long as they do what what they want to do, like like whatever makes them happy. If if, if the idea behind re-recording those albums was, you know, because they just wanted them to sound better, I guess that's cool. Um, but I don't necessarily know as a fan like how how I feel about that. Yeah, um, kind of in wrapping up, uh, if you would like to keep up with everything going on with uh, Reb, and this is going to be a long one because I'm going to give the plug for, for Reb, 
for Winger and Whitesnake, just in case you want to keep up with any of them. You can find them on Facebook at Whitesnake.official, Instagram at Whitesnake, Twitter at Whitesnake. Simple enough. If you would like to keep up with Winger on Facebook, it's just Official Winger. Uh, they don't have an Instagram that I could find. It basically just looks like it's Kip Winger. Um, and on Twitter, it is Winger the Band. And if you would like to keep up with Reb, you can keep up with him on Instagram at Reb Beach Official and Twitter at Real Reb Beach. That's R E B Reb. Uh, not rev, like rev your engines, uh, in case anyone didn't know that. And uh, if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them on Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus, or simply go to the website MetalNexus.net and get all your concert reviews, photos, and all the going-ons there. And Dan will tell you about how to keep up with all the going-ons within his world. Well, within my world of Facebook, you can find me under Daniel Terry. On Twitter, you can find me at Discuss Metal Dan. You can send me an email if you want to at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. And uh, you can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us simply enough at Bruce Speak Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Go check out our YouTube channel. we got some of the live videos uh, of us doing the interviews up on there. And uh, we also launched the Patreon, as you heard on the last episode with Mixie. Go to Patreon.com slash Pod. We have uh, a couple episodes. We're going to do probably another one this week and get that out for next week. But uh, we're open to your suggestions, and we thank you for all your support monetarily or otherwise and for the brutally speaking podcast i am john and i am dan we will talk to you all next time